uh, as we begin our study in the book of 1 Peter, here's what I want us to be captivated by, is that we are going to come right up against our identity. Now, in our culture right now, we know there's a lot of questions about identity, how one identifies their self. And as we begin this study, we will come against this question of identity. As Karen H. Job says in the very opening sentence of this letter, Peter introduces the concept of Christian identity. Christian identity that is based first on relationship to God and then on relationship to the world. So this morning, our intention will be to remember our identity. We who are disciples of Jesus, it will be to remember our identity in Christ in relation to God. And as we think about that, we can think about our identity as the chosen. And then we can uh, think about our identity based on our relationship to this world. And as we think about that, we can use the term exiles. So this morning, we will be thinking about how we are chosen exiles. Chosen exiles. As such, this morning, we will be called to forsake all other identities for the identity of chosen exiles. That's where we're going. Y'all ready? Y'all want to get into it? All right. A couple of y'all are with me. More will get on board. So, I don't know if you've noticed this. We find people identifying themselves in a lot of different uh, ways today, don't we? People identify themselves based on their gender, their race, their ethnicity, their nationality, their political ideology, their sexual orientation. So if we think about those terms, like what do those mean in concrete terms? It means that some people identify themselves as male and female. Non-binary, transgender, a race, black, white, uh, ethnicity. I'm uh, Mexican, I'm Italian, I'm Irish, I'm uh, 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 nationality, I'm an American, I'm Ukrainian, I'm Russian. Think about that, Ukrainian and Russian. If you have ever been there, there's only a few things that separate those people, their language, their culture, borders. Their political ideology. I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat. Their sexual orientation, I'm heterosexual, I'm homosexual, I'm pansexual. People are identifying themselves along these lines, and what you and I know is that they are clinging to these identities. Now, here's, here's where I know that we want to go in the church. We want to go to this next step, and the next step says, okay, we're going to identify how everybody else is wrongly identifying themselves, and we're going to talk about that for a while, right? Let's just talk shop about that for a while, but that's not where we should be going as a church. 
We should not be sitting here and pointing fingers at everybody else and how they're identifying themselves. What we should be doing as a church is we should be holding up a mirror in front of our own face and going, hey, where, what am I identified as? How am I identifying myself? How are we identifying ourselves? And I can tell you, churches are not doing this in some scary ways. There's churches who are not identifying. They, they, they are identifying themselves by their nationalism. Instead of forsaking their national identity, they're clinging to it. Uh, Peter's going to tell us in this letter, judgment begins at the house of God. It's time that judgment begin at the house of God. And that doesn't mean that we sit in judgment of everybody else. It means that we understand that we are the ones being proved, being tested, or let's say proved or approved. We are being tested whether or not our faith in Jesus and his crucifixion and his resurrection and his return and his kingdom. We are being approved and tested as to whether or not we truly believe these things. Do we truly believe that we have an inheritance in heaven that is reserved for us, that is kept not by the Constitution? Not by our sexual orientation. Not by our race or our ethnicity. But by the power of God. Do we believe this? Are we longing for this? Is this, to, is this that to which you and I cling? Are we clinging to this? Identity as God's chosen. So again, we are not going to stand here today and satisfy that base desire that we all have where we can sit together and we can go, we got it all together, but let's point out where everybody else has it wrong. No, we're going to come together today and we're going to go, hey, where might I, you, we, where might we be Clinging to identity where we need to forsake it. So. The second question is, is how does our identity affect our relationship with this world? What is our identity? affect our relationship with this world if you look around people based on their identity they are feeling certain ways they are feeling they are feeling at home in this world this is my home this is my place these are my people we also have people who are are, are, are feeling uh, disenfranchised in this world i don't have a place here i don't belong some people it's 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 the world has never been what they've wanted it to be it's never been the, 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 what it promises. People look at that about America. Amer you know, Martin Luther King Jr., his, his message was so powerful. 
whenever he said that America wrote a check and it needs to make good on it, whenever he said, you wrote in your constitution, the Declaration of Independence, that, uh, not the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal. You said this, now it's time to make good on that promise. Because you haven't been making good on that. So there's some people who go, it's never been what it needs to be, but we're still fighting within this system to make it what it should be. There's also people who ideologically look back and go, there was a time where I fit in here, where this felt safe, where this felt comfortable, where this felt like home, but now it doesn't feel like home. Now I feel like a foreigner. Now I feel like an outsider. Now I'm scared of what's going to happen next. I don't know about every other cultural perspective in our country, but I'm going to say pastorally from our cultural perspective, I have this sense that most of us here in our context are longing for an ideological past. Things are not what they used to be. Y'all familiar with that, that novel by Cormac McCarthy? It was later turned into a movie. It's called No Country for Old Men. Let me tell you, let, let me just ask you, if, whenever I read this, if you kind of feel like, yeah, that makes sense. That's how I feel. Let me set the scene here. Two sheriffs who are in their 70s, early 70s, who've been sheriffs for a long time out in West Texas, uh, have just seen a string of horrible crimes committed. And uh, they are lamenting about the way things are. Now, this is not set. It was written in 2005, but it is set in 1980. It is a setting of No Country for Old Men. They're sitting there in this cafe in West Texas, and they're lamenting about the way that the world is. And this is stated. You know, if you had told me 20 years ago that I'd see children walking the streets of our Texas towns with green hair and bones in their noses, I just flat out wouldn't have believed you. The other sheriff responds, signs and wonders. But I think once you quit hearing sir and ma'am, the rest is soon to follow. Do y'all identify with that? Things are not what they once were, and I never thought we would care. If you can identify with that, then maybe my sense that we, we have this relationship to this world, that you and I find ourselves wrestling with this relationship to this world, that this is not the world that I once knew, and now I'm really scared. Now I'm really unsettled. Now I really don't know what to do. As we get into 1 Peter, what you and I will find is that we need to not cling to any other identity except for our identity as the chosen of God. 
And then that defines our relationship to this world. And what that really tells us is it's not that this world is now at this point no longer a place that we are at home in, but that this present age, this present time, since Jesus left before he even came, but since he left, the, the, the disciples of Jesus have never really been at home in this world. We're exiles. We're strangers. We're foreigners. We, we are in a place that you and I, uh, we have to do business we have to get on with our life. We have to live in a peaceable manner. But you and I do not fit comfortably in this world. This is not a new phenomenon is what I want to say. This is not something. There was not a season that has come and gone where we really fit into this world. And now we don't fit into this world. As disciples of Jesus, you and I need to cling to our identity as the chosen in our relationship to God, and that satisfies that we are exiles or, or stipulates that we are exiles in this world. It's not just now become uncomfortable. It should have always been uncomfortable for us. We never should have been fitting hand in glove into this place. We should have always felt a little bit uneasy. Here's what I would recommend to us today is that our identity as chosen exiles when we forsake all other identities and we cling to the identity as chosen exiles we will not like the two sheriffs in no country for old men find ourselves bitter and resentful and hopeless is if you know anything about No Country for Old Men, that's how you feel at the end of that book and at the end of that movie. You feel bitter. You feel resentful. You feel absolutely hopeless. Not on the streets of our Texas towns. But if we cling to our identity as chosen exiles, then you and I will find ourselves living in this world with joy and hope. That's my supposition. And let me just show you in the text how Peter, from the word go, wants them to pay attention to their identity as chosen exiles. 1 Peter, chapter number 1, verse number 1. Peter identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's on a mission. He's on the job. He is writing to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So this is where we're going to get the idea of exiles. We get it really from the word that says scattered. The Greek word there is, uh, dis, uh, is the word that we get dispersed from, but it is, uh, it is also the word whenever they um, did the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek, when they translated that, 
It's the same word that they would describe as the children of Israel who were in exile. They were called the children of the diaspora. They were the ones who had been scattered abroad. And so the idea, the consideration, the interpretive concern here is that people have said Peter is picking up on this, this, this idea that you are people of the diaspora. You are the dispersed people in this world. Uh, most modern commentators will agree that Peter is not using this language because he's specifically talking to Jewish Christians, but that Peter is picking up on this as a metaphor for all disciples of Jesus. One reason why we get that is because Peter, he addresses different people in different places here in Asia Minor. This is all these uh, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia Minor, they're all Northern Asia Minor. Peter never once is addressing an individual group. When Paul writes his letters, he will say to the church at, to the church at, or to this individual. Peter is talking to a whole bunch of different disciples of Jesus scattered throughout a whole region. And so our understanding and our interpretation of this is that Peter is picking up on this Old Testament language of the children of Israel who were in exile, and he's applying it to the disciples of Jesus so that they can know their relationship to this world. You are exiles in this world. We'll talk more about exiles here in a minute, but verse number two says, elect. This is the word eklektos. We see it, or eklektos, we see it all throughout the New Testament. Paul uses the language a lot. It means chosen. If you know anything about this word, it originates whenever you talk about Israel in the Old Testament. They are God's chosen people. In fact, today, if you talk to an Orthodox Jewish person, and you want to talk to them and you want to understand how they read Isaiah 53 and all the suffering servant, uh, 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 the songs of the suffering servant uh, throughout um, Isaiah, they will all say this is talking not about an individual, but as Israel as a whole, because they all identify themselves as the chosen. They are the chosen ones. It goes all the way back to Abraham. And this is going to be very important because Abraham was chosen of no merit of himself. He was called out of Ur of the Chaldees in Genesis chapter number 12. So again, what we want to see here is that this term elect identifies one's relationship with God as his chosen, his covenant people. So that's where we're going to get our two ideas of we identify as the chosen elect. It's right here in the text. And now I want us to think about these two terms, chosen. What do you think about when you think chosen? Do you think me chosen instead of somebody else? A lot of times that's how we've interpreted it, isn't it? People will have all these, these theologies. Well, God chooses some and he doesn't choose others. He chooses these instead of choosing these. But if we understand chosen as it was delivered to us in the text from the story, and we go all the way back to Abraham, and we go all the way back to Genesis chapter number 12, we will remember that Abraham wasn't just chosen. 
instead of others, but Abraham was chosen for the sake of others. And so I want us to think about this. As we think about our relationship with God and identifying ourselves as in relationship to God, we should understand we're chosen. We are, we are people who've been chosen by God, but it's not we are chosen instead of them. We are chosen for the sake of this world. And there's two reasons why I want us to think about that. Let's go back to Genesis chapter number 12, verses 1 through 3. I'll read it for you. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. And here's what he says. I will make of you a great and mighty nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Oh, we would like to stop there. He's going to make me something, and he's going to make me great, and he's going to bless me. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and thou shalt be a blessing. God goes on to say, I will bless them that bless you. I will curse them that curse thee. But in you, in thee, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Was Abraham chosen instead of everybody else? Or was Abraham chosen for the sake of everyone else? But we also find it here in 1 Peter, chapter number 2, verse number 11. Peter picks up on this same language that he introduces in the early part of 1 Peter. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and as pilgrims, that you abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, that you have your conversation honest among the, the Gentiles or the, the, the nations, if you will. And here's what he says. He says that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they shall behold glorified God in the day of visitation. What does Peter want the chosen ones to remember? You're not chosen instead of everybody else. You're chosen for the sake of everyone else. Do we grab that? It's the same thing that Jesus said over in Matthew chapter number five. He says, you are called to be salt and light. And then he goes on and he says, so, so be salty and be bright so that others may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Peter says, you and I are called to live in relationship to God for the sake of this world. Not in relationship with God instead of this world, but for the sake of this world. You and I are supposed to live honest lifestyles. Genuine character, impartial love, even whenever they're speaking evil against you. Peter says, I want you to live this way. Why? So that when you stand before God, you're going to get a gold star. So that when you stand before God, there's going to be another crown in your, or another jewel in your crown. Peter doesn't say that there. I mean, that might be things that we do want to get. We do want to get uh, our inheritance and our reward. We understand that. But Peter says, you live honest lifestyles amongst the people who are different than you, who do not hold your same identity, your same values. Why? So that you can prove that they are not and you are? No. You do it so that when Jesus returns, their eyes may be open. And at that day, if they've never done it before, at that day, they will fall down, 
so that like what Paul says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. You're not doing this because you've been chosen instead of them. You are chosen for their sake. My brothers and my sisters, we are chosen not instead of everyone else. We are chosen for the sake of everyone else. Do you grab that? Can we hold that? Can we live into that? Our relationship with God is secure and our relationship with God is not so that we, instead of everyone else, gets rescued. Our relationship with God is that through us, through our lives, through our witness, through our love, through our generosity, through our hospitality, through our kindness, through our patience, through our forbearance, through our long-suffering, this world that we do not belong in as we feel is not destroyed, but so that this world is rescued, so that the people are rescued of this world. That's our chosen identity. I think I've taken enough time, and I think there's enough for us to chew on there. Next week, we'll get on into our exile identity. Does that sound good? Are y'all really proud of me for stopping right there? Right? That's growth right there, brothers and sisters. All right. Mr. Dill, you are chosen. What does that mean? You're not chosen instead of others. You're chosen for the sake of others. This week, as you go out of this place, as Paul said, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no barbarian, there's no Scythian, there's no male, there's no female. Your identity is not all the ways in which the world tells you to identify yourself. Your identity is as the chosen and beloved of God. And your identity as the chosen and beloved of God inspires you, uh, rescues you, uh, motivates you, so that everyone else knows that this identity, this rescuing identity, is available. Peter goes on to say in verse number two, the reason why you can call yourselves the chosen beloved of God is because of what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, revealed to you while you were yet a sinner, that God really, really loves you. And while you don't want to trust him as daddy, he wants to prove to you that he's a good father. This world doesn't trust that God is a good father who loves them. They're clinging to find their identity in so many other things other than the beloved children of God. My brothers and sisters, let's be the ones who reveal we are the beloved children of God. And that's not instead of everyone else, but we want to reveal that for the sake of everyone else. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. I'm going to invite you right now to a time 
where you can talk to God about what God's talking to you about. Here's the thing. What are you finding your identity in? What are you holding on to? 